Sonny Wong and Calvin Carter, we're in your guys' lab. So happy to be here. Yeah. All right. You, you do. All right. Let's start with this. Tell me a bit about yourself, including where you grew up and what you aspired to do as you were growing up. So I was born in Shanghai and then I immigrated to the States when I was two with my parents and kind of grew up a little bit in the South and in the Midwest. And I think one of the things that my parents really instilled in me coming from like a very poor upbringing was that, you know, we were given a lot more opportunities because my parents were in the States and they really wanted us to take those opportunities and do something and contribute to society in whatever way that we could. And so from a very young age, I always wanted to do something that would help humanity. Um, But when I was very young, I always wanted to be an astronaut, which I don't know if that's like super realistic. Um, And I think my parents kind of guided me more into science and medicine. And that's kind of where I ended up. That's super cool. How about you, Calvin? I am from, by the way, that's a really hard thing to follow up. Being an astronaut. Yeah, well. Well, I'm from a place called Staten Island, New York, <laughs> the, the great Staten Island, home of the largest landfill in the world, or formerly. Um, let's see. So I'm biracial, um, which played a big role in my kind of growing up, um, just having two different identities and um, kind of going through life, seeing things from two different perspectives, um, two totally different cultures. And I think that gave my twin brother and I kind of an appreciation for um, differences in people and and it's really given us this ability to to connect with other people on a, on a pretty deep level um, which is very important now in science in particular especially now where all of science is becoming so complex that it relies on people working together and communicating it's this team science effort um, that is is going to move the ball forward nowadays it's no longer you know the old days with Marie Curie at her bench by herself pipetting into a dish it's it's a lot of um, people working together. Um, so, you know, I didn't want to become an astronaut when I was growing up. Um, it's a true story. I actually wanted to drive a bus <laughs> when I was growing up. I Something about, maybe it was, looking back, I think it was um, the responsibility of carrying passengers, you know, and kind of having those lives. And then it became a train conductor and, and so on and so forth. Um, but when I was 10, my dad, he gave me a book and it's called Mind Over Matter. I still have that book. And in that book, um, it was talking about how, um, how people, we only use a fraction of our minds. They say 10% of your brains. And I always wondered, what the heck are we doing with the other 90%? Um, and so that question really just fascinated me. And ever since I was like, okay, I'm all in, I want to find out what the heck is going on here and what else are we capable of? And so I think that's been my drive to get in the science. That's awesome. And what are you guys doing now? So now we are studying something that I would say is a little unconventional. Um, and we're looking at how electromagnetic fields affects biology and how we can potentially harness the power of those fields into new therapies for patients. That's amazing. There's so much to unpack there, I feel like. How did your guys' worlds collide together? There's always been this question of 
what do these electromagnetic fields do to the body? Growing up sitting next to the Wi-Fi router and my mom having her wooden spoon and saying, don't sit too close to that. You don't know what's going to do. Um, so we started testing this out. We started tweaking. We did a whole screen um, trying to identify the different frequencies that were affecting biology. Um, so long story short, we had about four weeks left before I had to move out to New Haven. And, and I had tested all sorts of things and I was primarily interested in the effects on the brain and behavior. Um, and at that point, uh, I was getting ready to leave and a grad student, an MD PhD student had just joined the lab and, uh, and her interests at the time were in diabetes and metabolism. And she needed some animals to practice measuring blood glucose. So I, uh, I, I lent her some. And after that, what happened? So I had started in the lab and like Calvin said, was really interested in studying diabetes because a lot of my family has diabetes and I actually wanted to better understand it and develop new therapies that would make it easier for patients with diabetes. And Calvin lent me all of these animals because I didn't have any of my own at the time. And I needed to practice, you know, measuring blood glucose and things like that. And so he gave me these mice and I started measuring the blood sugar in these mice. And all of the animals that he had exposed to these electromagnetic fields, um, the diabetic ones were all like normal blood sugar now. So they were no longer diabetic. And I was like completely shocked. I went back to Calvin and I said, there's something weird going on here. And the first thing he told me was, well, you know, the glucometers in the lab are super old. Um, so maybe you want to go buy another one and try again. To be fair, I say, look, OK, it's your first week in the lab. OK, it's it's people make measurement errors all the time. Just go back, do it again, use a new glucometer and uh and we'll, we'll take a look at the results. So she did that, came, came back a couple days later, and lo and behold, the finding held up. And these diabetic animals were now like healthy and normal. All because of electromagnetic fields. Yeah. So we were emitting electromagnetic signals that are weaker than signals emitted from an iPhone. And which was the really strange part about it is because they're so weak. You can't feel them. There's no sensation. There's no tingling or what any, any sensation. Um, and so that's kind of when the twilight zone music started going off and we were like, I wonder what this could lead to here. And that blew open this project. Yeah. Do you want to say anything else on that? Delving deep into the mechanisms of diabetes and trying to really understand why this was occurring. Cause I think one of the things with something that's so out there and so different is trying to uncover the root cause of why it's occurring because otherwise it could just be hand waving at that point have you found other disease states that emfs are particularly helpful to treat yeah. having a funding crunch so we had made this big discovery and the lab only had maybe eight weeks left of funding and we had already let go of 80 percent of the lab because we just weren't going to make it grants were expiring we didn't have the funding so we had make the, made this cool, res this cool discovery, and here we were like, um, I think we may have to close up shop. And, uh, and so that's when we had another serendipitous meeting, and that's when we first met. And uh, 
and there, there's a story there we can talk about that but um but yeah so suffice to say that things sort of work themselves out we wound up having funding to pursue this project and uh and then wound up bringing it out to the finish line it, i i feel like serendipity is kind of a common theme of your guys's story to me it's a it's a really beautiful combination of hard work and luck right and some force in the world that's pulling this all together we've seen this when was it that we met like 2017 do you want to tell that story yeah so so it's it's funny let's honor the og real quick let's do it yeah well yeah so big shout out to herb wilson um and herb and janice wilson and the whole wilson family because without this this project would have died back in 2017 um so the story is made this big discovery and now we were strapped for cash my twin brother at the time he had just moved back from amsterdam um and he moved to iowa and he was working with us for a little bit and actually at the time he was just getting his bearings and he started working in the hospital and one day he was sitting behind the front desk at the hospital and he was chatting with his coworkers. and in walks this older gentleman and my brother just like stopped this conversation and just walked up to him and had started a conversation with him and I guess they somehow got to talking about what we were doing in the lab and this new discovery that we had just made. And Herb said something like, huh, that's very interesting. I want to meet them. And, uh, and at that time we had this pitch coming up, which was a couple of weeks later. And Herb said that he would be there. My brother, what he told us afterwards was, yeah, I thought I would never see him again. Um, and then I don't know what happened behind the scenes with you and Herb, but yeah, at that pitch competition, you both showed up, you sat in the front row and we did our thing. And then we pitched it and, and afterwards, uh, Herb came up to us and he said to me, he said, um, what do you think if I write you your first million dollar check? And I was like, you might as well make it 10 million. <laughs> like, yeah, bring it on. Let's do it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and so, and it was a great time and, and, and everything. And we got to know the Wilson family very well and they're amazing people. Um, a couple of weeks later, he wrote that check and the rest is history. Amen. Anything to add there, Sonny? I just think that like Herb and Janice Wilson and the whole family were so instrumental to like our successes. And the fact that we were able to really develop that relationship with Urban Janice, like over time, um, meeting up with them, it was just really great to see their perspective on what we were working on and how much of an impact it would make on patients and just people in general in the future. Mm-hmm. What, what did you guys talk about? I'm just curious. Like, so, cause you know, okay, my brother, they connected. He said that he was going to meet us there. Well, how did you get involved? Like, did he ask you like, Hey, I got this group, like help me figure this situation out. Like what happened there? It was, it's a funny situation. So he, he reaches out to me and says, Hey, I've got these, these scientists who I think are really going to change the world. They've got this technology. It's going after diabetes. He had diabetes in their family at the time. Right. So he said, he's very passionate about it. And Herb didn't really talk about much unless he was pretty serious about it. Right. He didn't blow a lot of smoke. And so when he said that he believed in you guys, I was like, oh, I got to come meet them. And he's like, yeah, come. They're doing this pitch competition. You should come. There's going to be some amazing people. I'd love to introduce you to them. And so I went. I was working at the University of Iowa Foundation at the time. Turns out I get in trouble by the foundation for going to the event because it's supposed to be like a C-suite event at the foundation. So first of all, Herb's getting me in trouble. But, you know, sometimes you got to, you just, 
you got to break rules every once in a while, right? And so, and I didn't know that until after the fact, right? So I guess I'm kind of covered there. But anyways, Herbert takes me in. First guy we meet is Michael Mahoney, the CEO of Boston Scientific. And then second people I meet are you guys, right after you just got done pitching the Golden Halo and Gemini, your guys' company. And Herbert and I just sat there and thought, these people are undoubtedly going to change the world. We don't know how, we don't know when, but they're on to something, right? And you constantly hear over and over, like, invest in the people. Like, yeah, the idea is super important, but invest in the people who you know are going to be successful. And that's what Herb said to me. He goes, I undoubtedly know that they're going to be successful. He never told me what the amount of, of the money, right? Herb never talked in dollars. He was just a very humble man, you know? And I think there's a lot we'll never know uh, about what he did for the world. But I'm grateful that I got to know this part of his life. It's meant the world to me. What an inspiration. Yeah. And everybody who knows him, he was a force. I mean, he raised his family is so successful. I mean, he has just an amazing lineage and he left behind an incredible legacy too. So yeah, it's, it's one of those things where just feel so fortunate to have met a man like that. And then he's mentored us throughout the years before his passing. And just, there's so much wisdom that he imparted on us. And he never told us like, I want you to do this or do that. He always gave us the freedom to do whatever we wanted. And he kind of had this trust of like, you know, you guys will, there's some magnetic pull that'll kind of lead you in the right direction here. And, um, but yeah, so it's just an incredible, incredible connection. Yeah. Sonny, I'm curious how you see medicine evolving over the next 15, 20 years. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of changes coming and I think, and I hope that we will be a part of sparking that revolution. Um, I think that technology like AI, technology like the therapies that we're developing, I think can change how patients view medicine. I think a lot of the times patients come into the hospital and are really afraid of what's going to happen next when they get diagnosed with a disease. And I think what we can do in the next 30 years is to create a healthcare system that essentially puts patients at ease and at comfort so that they don't have to worry about taking care of themselves when they're feeling very vulnerable during a time that's very hard for them. And that we as healthcare providers, as scientists, that we take their hand and kind of guide them through the process and worry about all the vaccine stuff um, to take care of their health. Well said. You guys, we've, we've talked a lot about the, the great things that are going on and all the amazing ways you guys are truly going to change the world and already are changing the world. I'm privileged to know a lot about you guys, and I know that it's not always great things, right? Like you two have been through a lot, you know, there's, there's no way, other way to put it. I'm curious, when you think of the word adversity, what comes to mind? So I don't know if I shared this with you either. Made the discovery labs running out of money. Luckily we met you and Herb, um, another one of those divine connections. But, um, in May of that year, Sonny remembers that was, that was one of the roughest periods of my life. Um, I got a call one night, I was sitting next to my twin brother. He had just moved out to Iowa city, which is in the middle of all this project and all the chaos. Um, got a call from my neighbor that my dad had died. Um, there was a house fire. He was in it. My little brother um, was in the house as well. And my little brother was trying to pull him out and, um, and, and couldn't. Um, he was 10 at the time and just didn't have that strength. 
ran out of the house and, and tried to get some help. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I wasn't there. We, we heard the story and first thing my brother and I did, um, called Sonny. Sonny came over, it was probably, you know, 11 or midnight and we just made a plan to go out there. And, and so, yeah, that was, that was one of those situations looking back that, you know, it, it, life is so fragile. We, I don't know what'll happen tomorrow, but you know, I think that instilled this, this sense of urgency, like what the heck do we have to lose here? You know, worst case scenario, like we try our best, we advance it, let somebody else pick up the ball and run with it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, my, my dad was an amazing man and to see what happened to amazing men, you know, it's just, it's just take a chance, take a risk. And that's kind of my mantra this whole time is just keep pushing, keep moving forward. Don't let anything get in the way. Cause you never know what'll happen. Thanks for sharing that, man. And that, that sense of urgency is something I see in you every time we meet. And like, I've never seen somebody who has bigger goals and it's clear that you are the way you are for very specific reasons like that. And so just keep being you, man. I can't imagine how hard that was, but I think it's truly made you a better person in, in a lot of ways. And I know for dang sure he's so proud of you. Like he, he really, really is. Uh, Permission to Shine is all about humble people. And you embody that to the core. How do you think about humility? Um, kind of having one foot in two different cultures. One where my parents were very Chinese, bringing that traditional Chinese culture, and then one being in the Western world. And I think, in a sense, that was a very humbling experience. And I think that kind of shaped a lot of my worldviews when I was growing up. And I think in both settings, um, you kind of have to have an open mind and to listen to all the different possibilities. And I think humility kind of embodies that, um, being open and listening to everything that's possible out there and not shutting out an idea just because it doesn't follow the path that you have constructed as the path moving forward. And I think by being open to those possibilities is really what's made it possible for us to do everything that we've been able to do because we have amazing collaborators and people who are always giving us like new suggestions and thinking about things differently. And then just being open to what we've talked about before, like this force that's like beyond us that may be sprinkling things in here and there because we don't really know like how these things come into being, right? We were just in the right place at the right time. And we were brave enough to look at that and say, hey, let's try something new. And, and, and brave enough to go back and repeat the measurements. And it's impactful and it's inspiring in, in so many ways. And so thank you guys for being who you are. Thank you for allowing me to be your guys' friend. It, it means the world. And you're undoubtedly going to move the needle on so many things. So keep shooting big. I think the world needs it. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Sunny, thank you very much. All right. Anything else you guys want to add? Uh, I guess a quick thing now it's May, it's Brain Cancer Awareness Month. Brain cancer is one of the deadliest diseases out there. Um, virtually all patients won't make it past five years. Three out of four will die within the first year. So, this is something that we're really passionate now about solving. And, uh, and the way we're going to do it is by doing cutting edge science, trying to identify those vulnerabilities in tumors 
that, uh, that we can target without harming healthy tissue. And, and I think we have a really interesting way of doing it using some of these electromagnetic signals. And so we like to say that, you know, one of our, our focuses right now is turning brain cancer away from being a diagnosis that will kill patients um, and turning it toward a diagnosis that patients can live with. Um, and, and, and we think that the front lines for doing so are right here in, at the University of Iowa. Anything else, Sunny? No, I think Calvin summed it up. Nice. All right. Well, thank you, guys. Yes, let's go. That was fun. Thank you, guys. I, thank you. I need a bus try. I think there's something to it. <laughs> <laughs>